Uh, hi, this is Andrew Kreisberg, and you're listening to Supergirl Radio. Supergirl Radio, your source for all things related to CBS's upcoming Supergirl TV series and the character of Kara Zor-El. My name is Rebecca Johnson, and unfortunately due to her New York Comic Con adventures, my co-host Teresa Giacino is unavailable for this episode. But with me to talk about the character of Cat Grant is my special guest, Michael Bailey. Michael is the co-host of From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast. He's a staff writer and co-host of Radio KAL Live over at the Superman homepage. He has a blog called The Fortress of Baileytude, and he is no stranger to our listeners. <laughs> Welcome back to Supergirl Radio, Michael. Uh, thanks for having me back. Well, before we get to our discussion, we have... The News. New York Comic Con took place over the weekend of October 6th through the 9th, and CBS's Supergirl had a big presence. There was a screening of the pilot and some really cool advertising. Michael, I don't know if you got a chance to see the projection of Supergirl flying on the buildings. And no, but I kind of wish I had. That sounds really awesome. Yeah, it. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what this technology is. I don't know, but it. <laughs> it sort of looked like they were. They posted a video of. It almost seemed like the perspective of someone in a car driving past these buildings and it had like a projection of like the the s shield and then it kind of turned into supergirl flying along the building and then as you would pass a building and there would be like a street she'd go away but then when you get to the next building she would show back up and i was like how (laughs) does that work i don't know but it's very very cool so they did some really unique advertising for supergirl so i was glad to see that yeah, they've been, uh, you know, just looking at all the different things that they've been doing to advertise this show. You know, CBS is really throwing a lot behind it. So uh, I am uh, I am all happy about that. Yeah, they've done a really great job. And especially ramping up to the premiere, it's it's funny. Every every Monday there's something new and fun. So it's mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, uh, it's it's cool that they are very aware of when to release this stuff and what kind of stuff to release. So. That's uh, It gives me a lot of confidence in the network in how they're promoting the show. Well, and as per usual for most conventions, there was a Supergirl panel, and it had Allie Adler, McCod Brooks, and Peter Fashionelli. And so let's talk about some of the things that we learned about what's coming up for the show. Uh, so we found out that Maxwell Lord will be appearing in episode two. So we're going to get him right off the bat, Michael, which is very <laughs> exciting. Um, and Peter Fascinelli described Maxwell Lord as a billionaire who, quote, wants to save the planet, but wants to do it through humanity, unquote. And that he looks at superheroes as a distraction and is in favor of humans taking on the threats against them by themselves. So what do you think about that description of Maxwell Lord? Uh, you know, very different from the comics, but, uh, you know, I think it'll work, you know, they, if these people have proven anything, they can make whatever concept they choose to cover work. So, and, and, and Peter Fascinelli is, it's, <laughs> I will always think of him as the jock from can't hardly wait. <laughs> so it's going to be kind of interesting to see him play, uh, you know, a, a much older character because that movie's almost 20 years old now. So oh, I'm going to, that makes me feel old. Yeah, me too. Trust me. It's such a good movie too. <laughs> yes. Yeah, and I I sort of had got a Lex Luthor vibe out of this description, so I'm I'm curious to see what they will do with him because like you like like you said, I mean, I, they can kind of pretty much do whatever they want to because they've kind of earned <laughs> earned my trust. But it definitely this 
description sounded very Lex Luthor-like to me. Um, so it'll, it'll be interesting to see what they do. They also talked a little bit about how Supergirl is going to be presented. And they said that Supergirl will be a mixture of serialized storytelling with a week-by-week case. And that, uh, according to Allie Adler, she said that every episode is action, adventure, romance, comedy, all pulled together. And that made me very excited because mm-hmm. uh, I think that is one of the the strengths of kind of the, the Berlanti way, except for I'm going to rag on Arrow a little bit because last season, <laughs> <laughs> last season, it was a little too heavy on the romance, I felt like. But uh, like with The Flash, I mean, that's a great example because they do a good job of balancing all those different genres and all those uh, different elements of the show. So I think Supergirl will, will be along those same lines. Yeah. I mean, it, it worked for them on the flash. So I'm, I'm, I can't see how this would be any different of not working. If that makes any sense. Oh, totally, totally. And I also thought it was really interesting that Allie Adler also mentioned that their writer's room is 50% female and she said that helps bring the element of balance and truth. And so I, I was glad to hear that as well, that they um, are, are having a female voice on a female-led show. Yeah, they've got like a bunch of uh, 50% female. They all have Wonder Woman's lasso with them. So everyone is forced <laughs> to tell the truth. I, I hope they post that on Twitter. Um, because (laughs) they uh, are in the tweeting business. So um, we also saw that there was another villain announcement. So according to New York Comic Con, we are going to get a toy man on the show. Uh, Allie Adler says, quote, there's definitely going to be a relationship between toy man and Jeremy Jordan's character when shot, unquote. So what what do you think about the element of there's, there's a when shot, but then there's also a toy man? I am interested to see what they actually do with it uh, because the last time a live action uh, toy man uh, was Smallville. I was about to say Lois and Clark, because, but then I'm wrong because I completely forgot about Smallville. Right. I thought Smallville nailed the character, but then Lois and Clark, it was Sherman Helmsley in a Christmas episode uh, was Winslow shot. So... I don't know. I, they they can't do any worse than that. But again, <laughs> these people have a proven track record of making these comic book characters work. And even if there's a difference, like you know, they they named in on Flash, it was Eddie Thawne. And I remember when they announced that name, everyone's like, "Oh, he's going to be the Reverse Flash. He's right. going to be the Reverse Flash." And they totally turned that on itself. So I'm just. Uh, with this entire series, I'm like, just bring it on. Just bring it. I'm, I'm not going to be critical of anything until they give me something to be critical of. Right. Well, so. I think that's a um, a good comparison because I've sort of been under the assumption that when shot would become the toy man. But I like the idea that we're going to maybe see a genuine, real deal toy man with his destructive toys and um, creepy uh, creepy appearance. Uh, ho- hopefully, <laughs> like on the animated series ho- where he was scary. So scary. Even even on Smallville where he had like the little the little sunglasses or whatever. Like mm-hmm. that, cre- that creeps me out. So I, I'm glad that we, you know, I mean, Winshot could become Toy Man in the future um, because like we talked about on the character spotlight, there's sometimes a father-son dynamic that's going on with his story where like the father is the toy maker who might be toy man or the, the son is the son of the toy maker who becomes toy mm-hmm. man. Um, and Teresa actually offered that as a suggestion on our episode that we did on toy man. So she might be right. <laughs> um, but I'm glad that we're, we're going to actually get to see some actual toy man stuff and we don't have to wait for when to become him. So that's very exciting. Yeah, Absolutely. And in more villain news, actor Chris Vance has been cast to play Non. According to The Hollywood Reporter, Non is described as, quote, a former scientist in a league with the House of L. Non is a brutal Kryptonian military officer who is sinister, powerful, and angry. He's the antithesis of all things Supergirl stands for. Non will quickly become Supergirl's greatest threat, unquote. So what are your thoughts on Non, Michael? Sounds like they're kind of playing with what Jeff Johns and Richard Donner developed for uh, right after Infinite Crisis when they brought a lot of the movie elements into the comics. 
and Nan was revealed to be Jor-El's, basically his mentor. And the Kryptonian Council, uh, they lobotomized him because he was talking about the destruction of Krypton. And the Council's like, you can't talk about this. You can't scare people like this. So that they, so they cripple him, essentially, as kind of like a warning to Jor-El. And that's one of the things that pushes Zod over the edge. So it sounds like they're kind of going more towards that than the Jack O'Halloran, you know, kind of brainless brute right. from Superman 2. Yeah, I like that. I like the idea that he was this really smart guy and to shut him up, they would have to literally <laughs> shut him up in a physical way. So I think that's a, an interesting take on the character. And to me, this is very exciting, this description, because I kind of initially was just like, and I think even Ter- Teresa was just like, meh, non, you know, like <laughs> uh, it, it, it didn't seem like he would be such a big deal. But this description makes him sound like he is going to be one of the bigger villains of the first season. So that is very exciting to me. And I'm curious as to how he interacts with Supergirl, because w- w- will he have made it off Krypton? Yeah, uh, he might end up being, uh, and it's nice to actually be able to talk about this since they've kind of hinted at it and all the things, you know, he might be on Fort Ross, basically. Right, right. So I think that would be really cool for Supergirl to have another Kryptonian other than Kal-El, who Mm -hmm. (laughs) unfortunately seems to be kind of out of the picture. (laughs) Um, But for her to have another Kryptonian to kind of maybe learn more about that culture. Well, she she knew a, a, quite a bit because she was a, a, a young child when she left Krypton, but to maybe know more about her family and kind of what they were about, that, I think that would be really uh, fun to see uh, mm. Kara kind of deal with her Kryptonian heritage. Absolutely. Well, uh, CBS launched MySupergirlIs.com which according to EW.com enables those with a strong and inspiring hero in their lives to celebrate her publicly with a customized graphic that features her name. And if you'd like a photo, which you can share on Facebook and of course, Twitter and Pinterest. So um, I thought this was a really cool way to embrace the Supergirl in, in all of us. And I, um, I thought, I thought it was a really neat idea that people, you know, could, upload pictures of whoever they considered their Supergirl and and it be, you know, put on this website for everybody to see. And I, I really thought that was a cool idea because it's something to engage the audience, engage uh, fans of the show, but also as a way to just celebrate people. And uh, I was curious, Michael, who is your Supergirl? Who would you um, put on that website? Well, I, I'd put my wife, Rachel. Uh, though I, I think of her more as my Lois Lane uh, because she's very headstrong. She's very opinionated. And uh, I have a feeling that if she was more physically able, I'd be getting her out of trouble a lot. Uh, but no, I mean, since in the 16 years I've known her, I've seen her go through a lot. I mean, she had to kind of relearn to walk twice. Wow. So, uh, yeah, I would definitely put her up there for that. Yeah, she sounds like a good candidate for that. Um, I actually submitted my mom for this, and I know a lot of people will say their mom, um, but my mom is a remarkable human being. Um, she lost her mother in 2000, then her father in 2004, then her husband, my father, in 2006, and then meanwhile, in all of that, she was going through breast cancer, and um, just a remarkable person to have come out of that and um and be as strong as she is and actually volunteers her time for other people during the week she's retired and she um volunteers at a women's shelter and teaches sunday school and she's she's just she has this servant attitude and i i'm inspired so much by that and she was actually the per- one of the first pe- people i called when i found out i had breast cancer and the way she handled that incident with me on the phone just totally set the standard for how I was going to get through that. Um, she was very calm. She um, just talked me through it because we had a similar situation, even though it was not a genetic thing, uh, which was odd. But um, just the way she was able to be strong for me on that call in, in a period of my life where like I've, <laughs> I didn't know how this was going to pan out. 
uh, that to me was like her Supergirl moment for me was that she she really kind of got me through that and helped me um, face that. So I encourage anybody um, who has a Supergirl in their life, uh, like Michael and I both do, uh, go to mysupergirlis.com and submit and uh, celebrate the, the hero in your lives. Um, and in other Supergirl news, CBS has released Rachel Platten's music video for Fight Song, which was the song used for the official first look at Supergirl after the CBS upfront upfronts. So go to cbs.com or youtube.com slash supergirl to check it out. Michael, did you get a, a chance to look at this? Yeah, I watched it today. I, I had seen that it was up, but with everything else going on, I just didn't have a chance to. But today I was able to kind of devote myself to catching up on these types of things. And, uh, you know, I had seen the video, the original video for the song because I really liked the song because of the Supergirl thing. Uh, and it was really kind of weird to see her video mixed with the footage, but there were times where I got genuine chills with the way they were matching the footage up to the song. Uh, I thought it was very well done. I was very impressed. Yeah, I really liked the images of like, you know, the regular people like, you know, showing off their guns and not not guns like pew pew guns, but like, you know, their arm muscles, they're, you know, showing how strong they are. And I, I thought that was really great. I, I enjoyed that a lot. And um, it was cool because in that music video, uh, one of the reasons to take a look at it is that it actually fe- features some moments that aren't in any of the trailers or TV spots we've seen so far. So it has a little bit of uh, new clips here and there. And to me, I was really taken with this because it kind of feels like old school marketing. Mm-hmm. Um, back when uh, when I was growing up, I, I'm, I'm a big movie soundtrack fan. And uh, back in like the 80s, 90s, and kind of the early 2000s, this was how a lot of movies got promoted, where they would have uh, soundtracks and then they would make mu- mu- music videos out of the tracks on the soundtrack and they would be used to promote the, the movies. And so the music videos would have like this video, they would have like movie clips mixed in with the actual artist in the video. And so I, I really liked that. It was sort of old school. It was like, um, the ones that I thought of, if anybody wants to kind of take a look, um, Ray Parker Jr. had, you know, his famous Ghostbuster song, his music video was kind of like that. Um, Prince's bat dance for (laughs) Tim Burton's Batman, um, which is a very, memorable video for me even when i was nine years old i still i can still remember prince as batman slash the joker in that suit so that's a (laughs) very memorable image for me and you know like celine dion's my heart will go on from titanic and u2's elevation from laura croft uh tomb raider those are a lot of good examples of kind of how this has been done before and so I, i i thought that was really interesting that they chose to do that yeah, I, I recently rewatched two of those from the '80s. One was the St. Elmo's Fire Man in Motion nice. uh, video, which uh, which is funny because that and Against All Odds by Phil Collins uh, from the movie Against All Odds. The whoever cut the videos together, like decided to use footage from the film to match the lyrics. Huh. But having seen the films, it they don't work like that in the movie. So it's kind of weird that they matched it up like that. But yeah, I mean, back uh, grown up on MTV, like when there was a new big movie and it had a hit soundtrack, those videos were in heavy rotation. Uh, and that's where you would sit there and watch it. Cause it was, you know, it's not like today where you can just go into Netflix or go out and buy movies or whatever. You know, you, you were kind of at the mercy if you, if you had cable uh, on whatever was on. So uh, I was, I was kind of a, taken with the fact that they uh they incorporated it so much and uh that they made it work within the context of the show as well yeah and i think it the the music video i think fits the spirit of what they're trying to do with supergirl you know trying Mm -hmm. trying to inspire people to be their best selves and and things like that so um i highly recommend it if uh you like the song which i i like the song so it's kind of fun to see the video for it so uh definitely check that out and as for our last bit of news, Callista Flockhart was interviewed by Entertainment Tonight. In it, uh, in that video, she talks about how happy she is to be part of a show that embraces and celebrates girl power. 
And she also, I thought this was fascinating, talked about the differences between her experience on Ally McBeal and, and her experience with Supergirl and how there is buzz before Supergirl has even aired. <laughs> it was such a different time back when she was doing Ally McBeal versus now. And so I thought that was really interesting that even the actors are noticing that. Yeah, because I remember that show being on and it was something like morning DJs would talk about uh, <laughs> in, in the in like during drive time and all that. And I remember, you know, the the dancing baby was, oh, it was huge. huge. And if I remember correctly, even though I really wasn't online like I am now back then, I think they had like a site with there the dancing a, baby. Yeah, there was a gif, if I remember correctly. Yeah. That was so, like. Uh, that was like the first time I ever saw something animated like that on the internet. <laughs> and I, I was amused that she talked about her brick cell phone. Oh, yeah. Uh, back in 98. I mean, they were, I think they were kind of away from the bricks by 1998, 1999. But still, they were gigantic and not as ubiquitous as they are today. Yeah, and it was funny because then she picked up her iPhone 6, I guess it is. Yeah. And it's it's pretty big, too. <laughs> so... Um, yeah, so that was really cool of her to, to talk about both of those experiences because they are, they are different, but then they are kind of the same because maybe they will both be big hits. Um, and I was actually also pleasantly surprised to see during that interview that they had a, cl- a clip of her as Cat Grant, you know, kind of barking orders to her Cat Co. employees uh, because she's trying to get them to go after Supergirl by getting images, video, an interview, and exclusive content. And I, I liked seeing her in that scene because it sort of looked like she was sort of maintaining her news background, and that got me very excited. It's also like she was kind of channeling a little Perry White. A little bit, yeah. Uh, but, you know, and much more attractive, uh, <laughs> in, in my opinion. But that's just, you know, nothing against any of the people that have played Perry White. No, I, I just, I really thought uh, watching, because I watched that interview as well, uh, on from entertainmenttonight.com, which is just, man, I used to watch Entertainment All Tonight yeah. every day when I was a kid. Now I just don't even think about it because... Of ever you know where you can get your you know your entertainment news and all that these days, but I like the fact that she's really into the role and that she's enjoying it. And she seemed more bo- she she seemed really bewildered that there's so much about the show out there before the show's even premiered. Uh, but to be fair, I think you need that with this because you know Supergirl. I'm not saying this to be mean. For a normal audience, it might be a harder sell. So if you put it out there in a really positive light before the show even premieres, people, I think, will be more likely to go check it out uh, rather than just, you know, discovering it when it shows up. Oh, I think that's totally fair. I think uh, I think Supergirl is, unfortunately, a harder sell, like you said. Um, so I, I do think all of the, the positivity surrounding it is it gets me excited about it. And so hopefully that will be the case for the general audience. Well, and one of the reasons I think that uh, Callista might be excited about it is because Cat Grant is a very awesome character. And Mm -hmm. uh, so whether she is a gossip columnist or the founder of Cat Co, we have a lot to discuss about Cat Grant. Um, We can start with what we know so far about the character as she will be appearing on the CBS series with Callista's uh, portrayal. So we do know she's going to be played by actress Callista Flockhart. And the CBS character slash casting description was as, as follows. The project is eyeing females in their 40s, open ethnicity, to play the founder of Catco, a media conglomerate the cat built from the ground up. Kara, Supergirl's mild-mannered alter ego, will work as a personal assistant to Kat, who is described as J-Lo by way of Anna Wintour, end quote. Uh, So, uh, Michael, Michael, when you uh, first read that description, what were your thoughts? I was a a little shocked that they were just going to use Kat Grant at all. Uh, it, It seemed like, you know, I associate her with Superman. So to bring her over to this and then put her into that role as the uh, an older woman who's already established, I got really excited because I thought that there was a lot of potential with that. Uh, the J-Lo by Anna Wintour uh, thing didn't do a whole lot 
for me because I know who JLo is, but I have no idea who Anna Wintour is. I think she is in the fashion industry. That's what I always associate with that name. Um, but I think that's an interesting thought you had about how you associate her more with Superman because I think that is probably what I would have thought as well when I first heard this because I think at the time, if I remember correctly, when this first came out, Teresa and I had not read the Sterling Gates run in the comics where Cat was associated with Supergirl. And so when I heard Cat Grant, I also thought a Superman. So it's it's fun to see Cat in kind of another setting. Uh, I mm-hmm. love I love her as the 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 Daily Planet reporter, but this is an interesting take for her, so I'm excited to see what they do with it. Yeah, it's a good evolution for the character. Yeah, because she has a lot of history, so there's a lot you can uh, com- bring up with her. And one of those things is that we know she will have a son named Carter. And the official character description for him says that he is a 12-year-old, and he is sensitive and shy and couldn't be more different from his mom. Uh, I wonder how that is. Um, and the character description also says, as Melissa Benoist Cara babysits her boss's son and gets to know him better, Quote, Carter finally opens up to her, revealing his true feelings for Supergirl, unquote. So what do you think about the uh, Carter Grant character? I'm kind of glad they didn't name him Adam because uh, this is going to sound terrible. When they announced that she was going to have a kid and I knew that there was a guy named Winslow shot on the show, I was just like, oh, wow, we just we just put a timer on this kid. (laughs) You Uh, you go to a dark place. Yeah. Well, you know, it was a dark story, but... Giving him a different name and, you know, having with what it looks like, a you know, a crush on Supergirl. It's kind of a cute thing to do. And I think, isn't this, uh, isn't this kid that plays Peter Pan? Yes. In the new, in the new uh, movie that the, just came out? Yes, in the new Pan movie, yep. Okay. So he's probably a very good actor. I haven't seen Pan yet, but I, I assume if he was in the mix with those those actors in Pan, he's probably a good actor. So I'm excited to see what he brings to the table. And uh, Teresa had mentioned, I think, on one of our episodes that there's still probably a possibility that Adam might have existed or still does somewhere. I don't it's know. It's possible. I, I don't see why I don't see why they couldn't do that uh, and still have that play out the way it did. Yeah, I thought that was an interesting speculation because now that we know there is a toy man, uh, I do wonder if they will ha- bring up the history with Cat and Toy Man. Um, maybe there is still an Adam, so I don't know. But uh, as far as right now, I'm excited to see uh, Carter and Supergirl interact. Mm-hmm, Definitely. And according to Deadline.com, Cat Grant will have a friendly rivalry with Maxwell Lord. Do you have any thoughts on that? Uh, I just think they'll probably have more of a romantic friendly rivalry, like flirty. Because there was a clip out there uh, that I seem to remember seeing of, of them like on at a party or something together. Uh, and there seemed to be a flirtatious vibe to it. So that'd be kind of fun that she has this rival out there and that they're not really involved but uh you know they're, they're kind of more sparring partners than enemies yeah i think that would be really fun i the I, I think it also looked like they were dancing a little bit maybe on the dance mm-hmm. floor so i yeah i think that'll be a fun way to look at the cat char- character because so far what i've seen is that she's you know very serious and uh, very concentrated on her job. And so I think the Maxwell Lord and the Carter stuff will possibly bring out a different side of Kat than she wants to let other people see. Yeah, I, I, I'm looking forward to how they play with her on the show. And I like the fact that they really do seem to want to make her a character and not just like this two-dimensional boss that barks orders and, and, and looks good, essentially. Yeah, and I think that's probably what attracts Callista to the part is that there, there's a lot of meat there. There's a lot of uh, stuff that she can dig in there and, and bring out. So I, I think that's a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Well, um, one of the reasons I wanted to have you on to talk about Cat Grant is uh, because I want you to help me dig through the comic book history of Cat Grant. Um, so what we know is that Catherine... 
Cat Grant first appeared in Adventures of Superman number 424 in January of 1987, and she was a gossip gossip columnist for The Daily Planet. And she was created by Marv Wolfman and Jerry Ordway and was introduced as a potential love interest for Clark Kent. Um, Have you read that first issue? Oh, yes, definitely. Um, (laughs) I, uh, I was not, I came in a couple issues after the whole revamp started, uh, but from the very beginning, Kat was a big part of the book. Uh, her first appearance is really interesting. She, she's there as kind of a foil for Lois. Uh, her and Lois did not get along at first, <laughs> like at all. And she was brought in to be somebody that was attracted to Clark. And in fact, their, their like first meeting they both have these thought balloons like, wow, she's really hot. Like, wow, he's really hot, essentially. <laughs> uh, and they're paired together. And, and Perry brought her in basically to sell papers. Mm-hmm. You know, she was a, a successful gossip columnist. So bring her to Metropolis. And her evolution through that first year and then even beyond that made her one of my favorite supporting characters of this era. Uh, because, you know, I, I was really invested in the books. And what they did with her is what largely made me kind of disappointed. And I know we're going to get to this a little later. Largely disappointed with what they didn't do with her on Lois and Clark. Right. Well, um, what in terms of that first year, what stood out to you about her character? The introduction of her being played kind of as a... Um, I don't even want to. I don't want to use any kind of uh, potentially offensive terms, but she was a bit uh, a bit of a player. Let me. Uh, that's, that's that's fair. That, that's that's a safe one, and that that's was her reputation. One. But that was a reputation she garnered after divorcing her first husband, uh, and she just kind of fell into like a party lifestyle. But there was a lot going on with her, and especially when they introduce Adam, her son, uh, who is initially afraid of Superman. Oh. Uh, because of how they're uh, how he meets him, basically, there's this big ugly guy beating up on his dad, and Superman stops it. But he's a little kid, so he doesn't understand what's going on. So initially, he's afraid of Superman. Well, sure, uh, yeah. And just watching Clark want to help her, and and going and talking to jo- her ex husband Joe Morgan, who has custody of her kid, and kind of used his clout as a big muckety-muck in Hollywood to kind of shut her out of her kid's life and having to reconnect with him and just seeing her like Clark Kent, you know, not being enamored with Superman, not, you know, not even really having much to do with Superman. There's this great issue. It was actually the first post-crisis appearance of Mr. McShes Pitalik, where at the end of the issue, Cat shows up at Clark's apartment and is making dinner for him and makes dinner for him. And Lois shows up to do the same thing and has to leave because Clark's in the shower and doesn't know about any of this. Ooh. So it it was a it was a really good little triangle because you had like the Clark Lois Superman triangle, but then you kind of also had the Clark Lois Cat triangle, uh, and it meshed together very well. That's very very cool. Um, and in terms of her husband, her ex husband Joe, did they? touch on him at all um because what i've understood about him is that he was a he was an abusive alcoholic towards, um, towards them was that something that happened in the comics i don't remember him being an alcoholic he was not an alcoholic and he was not abusive but it wasn't a good marriage okay uh you know and, and eventually cat becomes an alcoholic not because of what happened to her she just becomes an alcoholic and and to be fair it's a really forced storyline and it's dropped really quickly because there's really nothing behind it. Like there's this one issue that begins with her coming on to Jimmy Olsen uh, <laughs> and not James grown man Olsen. We're talking <laughs> redheaded freckled, you know, Cat barely reporter. 20 years old Jimmy Olsen. And he actually doesn't do anything about it because he knows she's drunk. Mm. Uh, and, and in fact, there's this this one part of it where she is, uh, she, gets stood up by Jimmy uh, because he's doing his job and she invited him to go to a bar, but he can't get into the bar because he's only 20 years old. (laughs) And eventually he has to help her out. There's this whole, 
the, just the, the whole thing of her being a drunk was done for a couple of months, and then it segued into her getting into a relationship with Morgan Edge. And what I loved about that is it just seemed like she was with Morgan Edge. But there was this source that was feeding Clark Kent information about Intergang. And Edge was the head of Intergang. And during the whole exile storyline where Superman had killed three Kryptonian villains from an alternate reality, went a little uh, nuts, and basically developed a split personality where he was going out as a gangbuster at night. And eventually he's like, I got to separate myself from everybody. So he flies off into space. And while he's gone, and in fact, in in the issue where he comes back, it's revealed that Kat was his source all along. And that was to prove herself as a real reporter. Like she can do real news. Yeah. And, you know, she and to and to put herself out like that. So she became this really strong character. Uh, that eventually even gets involved with Gangbuster. Uh, at first, he's her bodyguard, uh, Jose Delgado. Um, he's her bodyguard, and they eventually start a relationship with, which ends poorly, uh, mostly because of him. Uh, and you know, she's got this kid. She's working for WGBS, and I think one of the strongest stories after after her son dies is they used her as a way to shine a light on sexual harassment. Oh, really? Because her boss was Vincent Edge, which was Morgan Edge's dad. And he's making all kinds of comments. Like just, you know, and and groping her butt and just being a, a, a general scumbag. And eventually she just goes on live television and exposes him. <laughs> That's awesome. I could totally see Cat Grant doing that. Um, and, and and I like that they did what they did to show that she's a good reporter, because I find that a lot of times in, in some of these stories and even in the, the live action portrayals, I, I like it when she is. You can see that she's a gossip columnist, but that when she actually gets to prove herself as a reporter, I really like that kind of stuff. So I'd be interested in reading um, some of that of in her history. And um, you mentioned WGBS, and um, I am sort of familiar with this because of the, the Death of Superman arc, but um, can you talk a little bit about the Cat Grant show? She had her own talk show uh, on WGBS, uh, she eventually left the Daily Planet to uh, go do that, though she still had strong ties at the planet. Uh, it's kind of funny because before the crisis on Infinite Earths, WGBS owned the Daily Planet. Right. Uh, it was something that was developed in the 70s uh, where Clark Kent became a news anchor instead of being you know, a reporter. And then eventually they're like, hey, there's this big movie coming out. Maybe we should have him be a reporter again. Mm-hmm. But so in, in, in the post-crisis world, they were separate entities. And she kind of made her mark over there more than anything else. And she had her talk show and eventually like kind of rose through the ranks as being an executive as well. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, I I like knowing that, uh, like CatCo, I mean, I, I think the CatCo aspect of the CBS series is kind of stemmed from her history in the comics that mm-hmm. um, that she would have this media experience that kind of came out of her, her news reporting. So I think that's a, kind of a cool little element that they brought to the show. Yeah, and, and you have it in your notes, but, um, you know, she was interviewing Superman uh, the day Doomsday attacked. Uh, and she was the one to kind of pull Lois together a little bit. That, that, Michael, is legitimately one of my favorite scenes out of any comic anywhere. Like, my my, my all-time favorite scene in comics is from Batman Hush, where Catwoman pushes Lois Lane off a building. That, that <laughs> is, it's such a great scene. Everything about it, I love it. Um, but my second favorite is when Superman dies and Lois is, you know, understandably upset about it. And Cat comes up to her and like touches her shoulders and she says you're a reporter and she says you're a darn good one the story needs to be told by you and we've all got jobs to do and i love that that i think that shows uh what a good reporter and what a good friend she was and it kind of snaps lois 
out of her sorrow and, and gets her to where she can tell that story. And for me, the great thing about that era, which we just don't see in comics anymore, is that it was it showed the the evolution and progression of their relationship. You know, where at first, like I said, Lois didn't like Kat. She thought Kat was just a gossip columnist. She slept with all of her interview subjects. You know, that she wasn't a real reporter. And then she becomes a real reporter, and her and Lois actually become to be pretty good friends. And especially, you know, one of the one of the things about her son dying is the issue it happens. Clark and Lois fly to Paris to have right. dinner because they can. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and, and my, my, my friend Jeffrey and I, you know, we do From Crisis to Crisis where we've talked about all of these books uh, up to this point. And, you know, I will admit we, we kind of turn it into a joke. Uh, just, you know, like, you know, whenever Superman leaves town, you know, something really, really bad happens, which isn't <laughs> fair to anybody. But right we have a kind of a dark sense of humor between the two of us, but <laughs> there was that thing where, you know, Clark blamed himself and even Lois, you know, in her own way, kind of blamed herself for not being there. Not that they could have done anything. They really couldn't have with the way that story plays out. Adam probably would have died no matter what. Right. Uh, and the kid kind of went out a hero. So yeah, there he was did. that too, uh, which is kind of funny because he was, he's dressed as Superboy. He's dressed as Superboy, but he was kind of a brat. Uh, I'm not saying that to be mean, but the kid was played as a, you know, like a a, a, a rich kid's son, you know? Right. And they're like during during the whole death of Superman, you know, he's like changing the channel. And, you know, like I don't care about that. Superman's stupid anyways. And Jose Delgado grabs the remote from his hand and he kind of runs into the other room. And it's just like, you know, a very human moment where – you know, a, a 10, 12-year-old kid probably would feel like that. Yeah. I mean, and he's kind of had a rough life, so it, it kind of makes sense. But to see what that entire experience put her through and how she came out of it stronger uh, really kind of made everything worth it. You know, they, they didn't they killed him for shock value. But the hallmark of that era of Superman was they would do something shocking, but there was something behind it and in front of it. So there was something leading up to it, and then they dealt with it afterwards. It's not like, sadly, today where you have a shocking moment and it's forgotten three months later as we move into the next trade. Right. And I like what you mentioned about how Adam was sort of a brat because I think his death might redeem him a little bit mm-hmm. in that respect because he does go to a Halloween party where, if, if I remember correctly, Jimmy Olsen is dressed as Turtle Boy. Yes. And uh, he's dressed as Superboy and he does kind of protect some of the other kids. And I, I definitely like that because if he was a brat going into that, his death made him a hero. Uh, so I like that a lot. And I also... Um, I was wanting to get your thoughts because I have the Superman 84 and 85. Those are the only issues of that story I have. And the one about Cat Grant's revenge, I, th- I think, is a great issue mm-hmm. because she goes to the jail where Tor- Toy Man is being kept. And the whole issue, I don't even know if I should spoil it, but I mean, it's an old issue. Um, but she goes to the jail and she has a gun and you think the whole time that she's going to shoot and kill toy man. And, um, what, what are your thoughts on how she handles that situation? It, it was brilliant because not only, uh, did you have, uh, Lois goes over to her apartment and not only sees a bottle of alcohol, of vodka, if I'm remembering correctly, where she's worried, okay, maybe she's backslid into being an alcoholic, which is kind of understandable with everything going on. But she also finds the gun. So it's a real gun. So she's like, okay, this is bad. And so she goes to the jail and uses a smoke bomb to distract the cops to get through the metal detector. So you're really thinking, okay, something bad's about to happen here. And she has her confrontation and it doesn't you know, it doesn't solve the issue. It doesn't make her okay overnight. Uh, and she has a really good moment with Superman at the end of that issue yeah. as well, where you just kind of understand, you know, where that was coming from. And, and I was reading that as I was coming out, it was the, the, you know, getting into the winter of, uh, you know, of 93 and 94. 
And I, I remember where I was when I was reading those issues. So it's it, the, you know, th- that era of Superman gets such a bad rap because everybody wants to call, you know, like, oh, he had a mullet and <laughs> he died and came back and it was really stupid. But it really wasn't. You had these amazing writers and artists coming together and working together on what was ostensibly a weekly comic book. You know, and Dan Jurgens handled all of that. Uh, he was the one that came up with the idea to make Toy Man a bad guy, like an insane bad guy, because Superman really didn't have those villains. Jurgens is famously quoted as saying, you know, all Superman fights is guys in suits, <laughs> you know, and he wanted to give him a legitimate, you know, psychological threat. And, you know, that 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 took a lot of heat. You know, to 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 do that, you know, it was, uh, you know, everyone's like, oh, it's the 90s, so he has to be dark. But it really wasn't like that. And Adam's death was just kind of a reminder of, you know, that there are stakes here. And the, the other great moment was basically <laughs> Kat had to look at Superman who came back from the dead <laughs> and her son can't. Yeah. And so there was a little bit of that thrown in there as well. It was a very well done couple of issues. Yeah, I, I really like that at the end of that issue, um I I guess we should mention she does not kill Toy Man if anybody thinks no. that she goes in there and she murders him. Um she actually uses a toy gun, which I thought was very fitting. But she comes out that really strong. Uh she wants to l- stop leaning on other people but wants to lean on herself. And she she's very independent and and kind of picks herself back up at the end of that issue and I I, I think that's a great moment for Cat. And one of the things I thought was interesting about uh, when I was researching Cat Grant, um, during Lex Luthor's presidency, she serves as White House secretary. Do you know anything about that? Yeah, she. it's it's kind of funny. She was kind of largely forgotten once Eddie Berganza became the editor in 1999. A lot of the non-supporting characters that have been around forever kind of disappeared. Ron Troop disappeared. Uh, Cat Grant, a couple of others that developed in the very late 90s. And it it always seemed like it was kind of a token thing, but it kind of made sense, too. I mean, she was a well-known media figure, so you have her be his press secretary, and it sounds good. But, you know, after that whole thing, Kat was gone from the comics for the longest time until Jeff Johns brought her back. And it was really disappointing because he brought her back, and it's like the character devolved from who she had been, you know, uh, one, she was making a play for Clark, a married man, Mm. which, yeah, you know, when they were all single, it was all well and good for her to be attracted to him, but it doesn't speak for her as a character that she's coming on to a married man in front of his wife, essentially. And then the whole thing where while it was good dramatically, her going after Supergirl felt very artificial and forced. Like there was really nothing behind it, uh, you know, outside of a, you know, you know, they tried to trade on her grief over the loss of her son, but they really just made her a completely different character uh, with uh, with fake breasts, which was funny within that scene with Supergirl. But <laughs> still, uh, I just I never liked that they brought her back like that. It was really upsetting. Uh, actually, I was just like, why why bother bringing her back when you're just going to ruin her as a character? So would you say uh, your recommendation for Cat Grant comic reading would be the, the Jurgens era? Yeah, like the, you know, when she was first created all through up until, you know, the mid to late 90s. Uh, you know, some people may like that stuff, uh, you know, especially, you know, she was kind of like the one of the enemies of Supergirl in a roundabout way uh, by writing articles about how the world doesn't need her, but there was, she just became this two dimensional character and lost everything that made her special. And they, they didn't do a whole lot better in the new 52 where she did have her own media conglomerate eventually. Uh, but that was all like in the background, it was all really forced. It was done. And then she's gone. So it's like, Hmm. it's, it's like up at, the last time she was any good was when she was Luther's press secretary, <laughs> at least in the comics. All right. Well, that's uh, a good, I think, a good encapsulation 
of uh, comic book Cat Grant. Um, mm-hmm. She has appeared in animation. Um, she would have appeared on Superman the Animated Series, but she was replaced by a character uh, by the character Angela Chen, which I thought was really interesting um, because mm-hmm. what I know of Angela Chen is she's kind of uh, a competitor of Lois Lane, and Lois always kind of gives her the what for about journalism, which I love. Um, so I, I, I'm not entirely sure why she did not appear on Superman the Animated Series, but she was replaced. Um, she was on Young Justice, voiced by... Um, Masasa Moyo. Uh, she appears in the episodes Targets and Terrors, and I think she's just kind of there as a TV reporter covering the news for GBS News. Um, so she doesn't get a whole lot of screen time, but she's kind of that exposition character who tells you what's going on. And she also appeared in the animated film version of All-Star Superman, voiced by Kathy Cavadini. And Kat also appeared in Superman Unbound, but in kind of a cameo way, not a, a, a speaking role. Steve Lombard got a speaking role, but Cat <laughs> Grant doesn't get a speaking role. Yeah, Steve Lombard is uh, featured pretty heavily in Superman Unbound, um, which is, is fun because, well, fun for me. I, I don't get to see Steve in, in many things, which is why I loved that he was in Man of Steel. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so uh, she has been in animated stuff. And she's actually been portrayed in a lot of live action things which i think is when i was thinking about it i was like wow cat grant's actually been on tv a lot um we mentioned before that she was a regular cast member during season one of lois and clark the new adventures of superman and she was played by actress tracy scroggins um her characterization sort of uh when i was kind of learning about how she was introduced originally in the comics she's this this version i think was sort of trying to be that um she's a gossip columnist she's attracted to clark kent she's a foil to lois lane um jimmy kind of had a thing for her um and and i know you don't particularly care for this version um but kind of what are your thoughts on on her uh i liked tracy uh scroggins a lot I, i i think she did the best with the material she was given so any problems i have with with how they played cat you know, really have nothing to do with the actress involved. She was really just a sex kitten, which is a bad pun on her name, but still. <laughs> uh, there, was this, uh, there was an episode called All Shook Up where an asteroid was plummeting towards the Earth and, Su- and Clark gets amnesia. And they th- everyone thinks they're going to die. This is it. You know, humanity's over. And she goes to confession. And it's like, you know, it's kind of a, a, you know, they do like kind of dissolves where it just it makes it seem like she's there for a really long time. Oh, yeah, yeah. Just talking about, you know, everything she's going to miss out on and all the thing empty things she's done in her life. All of her sins, yes. And, you know, it's this really emotional point. I was like, wow, that's really cool. And then she comes on to the priest. And it's just like, okay, you've just ruined everything yeah. with that one lousy joke. I mean... But I will say this for her. She was not a snotty character because she had a thing with the uh, Xerox repairman who was in there. It was this nerdy looking guy that they apparently have relations in the (laughs) copy room. So it's. Again, it's all she was always played for laughs. And ultimately, from what I understand in hearing interviews, with Tracy is that's why she was kind of unhappy in the role. Cause she was just kind of paraded out there and skimpy clothing and given nothing to work with. Yeah. I think that is kind of looking back on the series. It would, it would have been more interesting to see her doing some of her reporting. Um, a lot of times you'll just see her get an assignment. She goes out and does her thing, but you don't actually see it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that would have benefited the show to actually, cause you, you do see that with Lois and Clark and Jimmy and they, they go out in the field, but, um, but yeah, I, I really liked Tracy Scroggins. I don't know about you, but she came to Dragon Con a couple of years ago. And so I, I got to meet her and, uh, she signed a, a picture of Lois, Clark and, and Kat. And I have Dean and Tracy on there, but I'm, I'm waiting on Terry Hatcher to show up <laughs> to, to complete my autographed picture. Um, but yeah, so Tracy's a, if you ever get to meet her, just, uh, she likes to talk to people. So, um, definitely, uh, take some time to ask her any questions cause she's, she's very good about answering them. But, um, yeah, so that, 
her her cat is very memorable to me. Um, but like you said, she wasn't um, utilized in, in kind of the best ways. Mm-hmm. Sadly. The next time we saw Cat Grant on television was on Smallville. And there were actually two versions of Cat Grant. Um, I actually said something the other day of, hey, I'm hanging out with Smallville's Cat Grant tonight. And they were like, well, which one? So you have to specify when you talk about Smallville's Cat Grant. Um, the first time we hear of a Cat Grant is in the season nine episode Crossfire. And she's played by actress Emily Erlerup. And... This cat is kind of different from what we know about Cat Grant. She studied to get two advanced degrees, sociology and social justice. So she must have been very smart. And she served in the Peace Corps. So she must have also been very um, selfless and wanting to do things for others. So it's definitely an an interesting uh, and different interpretation of the character. And the second time we see Cat Grant on Smallville is uh, when she's played by Carrie Lynn Pratt in season 10. And this Cat Grant actually got more screen time and uh, was in four episodes, uh, S.H.I.E.L.D., Isis, Icarus, and Booster. And she actually, it's, it's pretty funny, she actually makes a reference to the other Cat Grant that showed mm-hmm. up in, in season nine. She's like, we, we don't have any relation, but I get that a lot. Um, and the interesting thing about her character is that um, you find out that she has a two-year-old son named Adam um, and that she changed her name from Mary Louise Schroger to Catherine Grant to protect her and her son um, from whatever. They don't really kind of go into that, but apparently there was some trouble with her ex. Um, She does join the Daily Planet and partners up with Clark sometimes and has interactions with Lois. And um, in this version, she is a reporter. She's not like a Gossam columnist, but she is a genuine reporter, and you actually see her going out in the field and um, investigating things. So I, I do like that aspect of the character. Do you have any um, feelings about this version? I thought she was adorable. Um, I really, you know, a lot of people didn't like the second Cat Grant. Uh, and to be fair, I've seen season nine. I have no memory of her being in it. So I, I don't know if that is just because I'm getting older or whatever. Or that Carolyn Pratt's performance was just so strong that it makes you forget the previous uh, version of it. I thought she was fun. Um, she was a little goody-goody, uh, which I thought was an interesting thing to play off of Lois, who was willing to get a little more dirty for a story, which is probably a lousy way to say that. But uh, <laughs> no, I liked her. I, I didn't like Redneck Deadshot. That was in her first episode right, that was right. after her. Uh, was, I thought, wow, what a complete waste of that character. But, um, you know, she was only in four episodes, but she made a mark enough that I think of her fondly. Yeah, I I have mixed feelings about this char- this portrayal. Um, I, I don't particularly care of the stereotyping that went along with her. Um, she's kind of played as this, like you said, a, a conservative Christian goody-goody. Um, she even throws out uh, Amy Grant's Heart in Motion CD, which I happen to think I, I get mad at the stereotyping um, because I'm a Christian, but then I'm also like, I listen to Amy Grant's Heart in Motion. It's one of my favorite, <laughs> <laughs> one of my favorite albums. Um, so there is some truth to it, but it's also, she's, she is, is shown wearing lots of pink and has a thing for cats. And I'm like, is she Dolores Umbridge from Harry Potter or is she Cat Grant of the Daily Planet? I'm not sure. So it's a, it's a weird stereotyping thing that goes on there. But what I do like about her is that she has a lot of heart. Um, Mm -hmm. she, she does want to go after the truth and get the story. And I like, there is kind of an evolution for her in her relationship, especially with Lois, um, that Lois doesn't like her at the beginning, but by the end of her last episode, Kat and Lois kind of have an understanding and actually kind of stand up for each other. And, uh, I know you mentioned it before, but I think that's one of the things I like about Kat Grant is her dynamic with Lois in, in Mm -hmm. virtually any incarnation, whether it be Lois and Clark, the new adventures of Superman or the comic or Smallville, they have this camaraderie as reporters and as women, and I really like that a lot. Yeah, I mean, I will say for Lois and Clark, it was kind of fun to see them bounce off each other and that Kat gave as good as she got from Lois (laughs) because you would expect Lois to always have the upper hand because you would think she was smarter, but Kat just knew what button to push when. Yeah. Uh, And it was always kind of fun to see that. 
Yeah, Kat on Lois and Clark was definitely more comic relief in a lot of ways. And she uh, made Lois feel a little insecure, I think. Mm-hmm. So there, there are some portrayals where that's the dynamic, but then there are some uh, that I happen to like more where they are uh, very similar and they find common ground. So I kind of hope that maybe we'll get a little bit of that on the CBS series, even if there's no Lois, maybe she'll mention her. So do you have a favorite portrayal of, of cat Michael? You mean outside of the comics or the yeah, comics like in there? any of the animated or the live action portrayals? You know, uh, my heart's always going to go to Tracy Scroggins because that was more Lois and Clark was more like my era of the comics. Uh, but I, I've, I've got almost as equal soft spot for the, the season 10 Smallville cat grant, just because again, they did something with the character where, you know, they, they put her, you know, even though she was a minor supporting character, she had her own arc to go through. So I would say it's, it's kind of a dead tie between the two of them. I think I would probably uh, agree with that. I think you make a good point that she was only in four episodes, but she had a character arc, and that is good stuff. Well, I think that's going to do it for our discussion about Cat Grant. But before we wrap up, we have some listener feedback that uh, we should get to. Um, our first email comes from a listener named Corinne, who wrote in saying, quote, I have a really good recommendation for you guys when you have a hiatus to fill or for the summer break. The best Supergirl series ever, in my opinion, is Paul Kupperberg and Carmine Infantino's run on her title in the early 1980s, though Sterling and Jamal's run on the character is a close second. Carmine Infantino is best known as the artist who designed Barry Allen, so the art is in really amazing hands. The comic started out as Daring New Adventures of Supergirl for the first 12 issues, and then the Daring New Adventures part of the title was dropped for the last 11 issues and just called Supergirl. This is a Supergirl who has definitely found herself, but is still trying to balance both her lives. While it's not collected in print, it is available on Comixology and is definitely worth a read, unquote. So thank you for that recommendation, Corinne. It's actually funny because I, uh, during, I think they had a, a bombshell, a bombshells sale. That's hard to mm-hmm. say. Um, recently on Comixology, and I bought the whole collection of the Daring New Adventures. So I actually have all of those issues. So that's a, a great recommendation. We might try that sometime on Supergirl Radio. Do you have any thoughts on this series, Michael? I have had it for years. I have never, I haven't cracked it open yet. Uh, I have a couple of blind spots the, in the Bronze Age. Though uh, I am more interested now because Paul Kupperberg actually self-published a book recently of the scripts he had written for both Superboy and Supergirl that had to be scrapped because of the crisis. Oh, wow. Uh, so w- what had happened is that both the, the New Adventures of Superboy which was going on at the same time as the daring new adventures of Supergirl, they were going to be in a book, t- uh, like an anthology book together, uh, where one half of the book was going to be the Superboy story and one half was going to be the Supergirl. But because of the crisis and everything that happened during that, that book was scrapped. Well, he's ha- Paul's had those scripts for years, and so he just put it out as a book with the you know just you know detailing the scripts that he wrote back in the eighties. Oh, that's really interesting to kind of compare what was out there versus what they couldn't um, mm-hmm. publish. That's very cool. Well, thank you for the rec- that recommendation, Corinne. And we also got an email from a listener named Davey who wrote in saying, quote, in the episode on Allura and Zorel, you guys briefly talked about the Phantom Zone, and I wanted to clarify something about it as far as the way in which Berlanti and company are approaching it is concerned. Rather than depicting the Phantom Zone as a separate dimension, as it has been done in the comics, as as well as Smallville, Berlanti and company are depicting it as a physical area of space where time doesn't pass, a space-time pocket, if you will, which is why Kara's spaceship is able to be sucked into it as she rockets away from Krypton and why it's able to be affected by something like a meteor shower, unquote. <laughs> so thanks uh, for uh, trying to explain that, Davey. It's, uh, it is a very different depiction of the Phantom Zone that I am familiar with. So uh, I guess I'll have to go with it. The Phantom Zone has been so many different things. <laughs> so, I mean, it was, it was like a, a piece of glass that people were stuck in at one point and a desert wasteland sometimes. Yeah, you know, just, just something, you know, where, where you know, uh, a brilliant stage actor is getting drunk all the time. So 
<laughs> so thank you for that, Davey. And if you want to contact Supergirl Radio, you can email us at supergirlradio at gmail.com. You can post a comment on our website at supergirlradio.com. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter and Instagram, all at Supergirl Radio. And we are also available on iTunes and Stitcher. So if you've got some time, we encourage you to give us a rating and write us a re- review. And thank you to user ZN Yun or ZN Yaun 93 for your iTunes review. I hope I didn't butcher your username there, but thank you for your iTunes review. Uh, and we are also part of the DCTV podcast circle. So if you also like Gotham, Arrow, The Flash, and the upcoming Legends of Tomorrow, subscri- <laughs> subscribe to our DCTV podcast mega feed and follow at DCTV podcast on Twitter and like DCTV podcast on Facebook. Well, thank you again, Michael, for joining me to talk about Cat Grant. Uh, where can listeners find you on the internet? Uh, there's Fortress of Bailey-Tude, which is my Superman blog. Uh, that is also the home to From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast, which will be returning on November 5th, uh, 2015, with new episodes. Uh, we are working hard to get that show back up and running the way it was before. Uh, there's also views from the long box. And as you uh, mentioned, I am one of the staff writers over at the Superman homepage, where I write reviews for Action Comics, and I'm part of Radio KAL Live, Every Monday night, Eastern Standard Time uh, at 1030, uh, supermanhomepage.com. Yeah, it's actually kind of fun. Supergirl Radio has had both the Radio KAL hosts on, <laughs> so very proud of that. And thank you guys for everything that you do over there. Um, well, until next time, I'm still Rebecca Johnson. And keep in mind that besides fatty foods, there is nothing people love more than a hero. Hero.